Welcome to Kissing in a Tree with your host, Kelly Nichols. Romance, intimacy, and self-love are easier when we talk about them, and even more so with someone to lead the way. Here is your host, Kelly. Welcome to Kissing in a Tree. I'm Kelly Nichols, and I am so excited to introduce a special guest to you today, Robert Cunningham. Robert and I are old friends from college, and I think that his experience will be of interest to you. In this episode, we will have a candid conversation about the dynamics of Robert's long-distance relationship and how he navigates the challenges of maintaining a semi-open dynamic with his fiance. We'll explore the importance of communication, trust, and boundaries in such an arrangement so that it can be enriching to a relationship rather than undermining it. Additionally, Robert will share his firsthand experience with an STI as we discuss the importance of breaking the stigma surrounding sexual health and discussing ways that we would like to see safer sex more accessible. Without further ado, Robert, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here, Kelly. I am so excited to have you. I know that this is going to be a great conversation. So let's just dive in. Are you ready? I'm ready. Great. So first, you're engaged. Congratulations again. If you would tell us about your partner and how you met. Sure. So it's kind of a fun story. Um, We met initially on Growler. Um, So for your audience who may or may not know, Growler is an app uh, kind of like Grindr, which is an app for gay men to meet for relationships and hookups and that sort of thing. Growler is specifically for the bear community. So it is a, um, which is a community within the gay community that is uh, geared toward larger men and men who possibly have more body hair and the people who are interested in those body types. Um, so I was streaming on Growler, um, which is like a non-sexual stream. It's like, just like streaming on TikTok or YouTube or, um, or Twitch, any of those. Um, so I was basically just like cooking in my kitchen and talking to people. And, uh, my fiance came in, uh, we'll call him Nick. Um, so Nick came in and I was, uh, cooking and he started kind of roasting my popcorn ceiling, just kind of making fun of it. Um, and then the call got cut off. Um, the stream got cut off and he ended up calling me and we started talking and that was a few years ago. And then we, we just obsessively started talking all day, every day. Um, at the time he was living in Moscow I was in the U.S. Uh, right now, we're both together currently in Dublin, Ireland. Um, and our relationship has been, I mean, it's its had so many movements. But for the first year or so that we were seeing each other, we were traveling a lot together. We were both remote workers. So we were able, we met first in Dubai and we spent months together in Greece and in Mexico and in Montenegro. It sounds so romantic. It was, it was it was lovely. It was a great time. It was stressful and weird. And it was a lot of adjusting, you know, yeah. uh, uh, constantly shifting time zones and that sort of thing. Mm. But it was beautiful too. And really great experiences that I know I will cherish forever. Um, and then the war in uh, Ukraine began and it didn't seem prudent for him to stay in Russia. He's not a Russian citizen. Um, he was a resident in Russia so um, he was is working for an Irish startup. So he was able to relocate to Ireland. And then since he's been in Ireland as a resident, I spend three months here and three months there. All while for the last 18 months or so, we've been working on 
a fiance visa to get him to the US, but because of COVID backlogs, it's been a super, it's typically a six month um, experience. It's been about 18 months and counting. So um, so we're, we're hopeful we're at the end, uh, probably in the next few months, something will shake and we'll, uh, we'll, we'll be headed back to the US together. So looking forward to that. Good. I want to kind of circle back just a bit, because I know you mentioned you spend three months here in the U.S. and then three months with him in Ireland. So when y'all are spending, you know, half of the year apart, what do you do that helps you kind of stay connected? There are obviously going to be challenges with that distance, like time and intimacy, but I'm sure there are even challenges that someone wouldn't think of. It's tough. It's really tough. Yeah. Time, intimacy, time zones is a big thing. Mm -hmm. Um, we only overlap maybe uh, by the time I wake up to 6 p.m. So probably we overlap for like 10 hours a day, which, you know, is good, uh, doable, workable. And we certainly work it, but we definitely do have to be conscious about how we're staying connected. Um, when we're together, it's very, you know, like any relationship, it's, you know, there is effort, but it's not the same level of effort required. Um, some of the things we do, we have some routines that are really helpful. Um, yeah. uh, before he goes to sleep every night, we have like a dedicated 30 minutes to an hour where we're just talking to each other, which we talk all day, but we're typically doing other things. We both work, we both play video games, uh, we're doing other stuff and we're just kind of talking throughout the day for a few hours here and there. Um, but that 30 minutes before he goes to sleep we're not doing anything but talking to each other. We're kind of just um, having a more kind of serious heartfelt moment. And then before I go to sleep several hours later, I send him a video that is like a rundown of what the rest of my day was like and like what's going on and that kind of thing. That's so cute. Yeah, it's nice. So he gets to wake up to that. And, um, and I get to, you know, always when I wake up, he's already awake. So uh, lucky me in, in that perspective, it's harder, I think for him because he has to wait. There's mm-hmm. several hours from the time he gets up before I get up, which I know is like, so we're so like uh, obsessed with each other, but it's, um, it's one of the ways that helps us stay connected. And then something else we do is we like to do like daily puzzles together, um, like Wordle, Quirtle, mm-hmm. New York Times crossword, mm-hmm. and just having that routine of doing that stuff together every day. We have a couple trivia shows that we look at on TikTok every day. It's just like, again, uh, a way we know every, no matter what, every day we're going to have this time to connect and and chat. And then while the other person is asleep, we send each other tons of TikToks and, and social posts and all kinds of stuff. Um, it sounds like you really make it work by finding points throughout your day where you can find connection with him, even though he's on the other side of the world, right? I can't physically connect, but like you all both make time to put in the effort to carve out space to emotionally connect with each other every day. Do you think that that has been a um, driving force between why your relationship has been successful despite the distance? I do. And I don't want to misrepresent it. It's been super hard. And it ha- like we didn't just fall into no. it. It's been through like constant rechecking, reevaluating what's working, who's feeling less connected, who's mm-hmm. feeling mm, like neglected in, in the uh, experience and how can we solve for that? So, I mean, open communication about how we're feeling is kind of the foundation of how we've arrived everywhere. And it's taken a ton of effort, but it certainly, I mean, it's had a huge impact and I, I don't think 
if we didn't have that, I don't think we would have been able to make it work as long as we have. Mm -hmm. Communication is huge. I think in any relationship, obviously, like I always say communication is like number one. I think it's one of the most important, if not the most important thing in a healthy relationship. And I imagine that that is especially true in a relationship that has the distance, like you said, but also in a relationship where because y'all are spending three months apart during that time, you've shared with me that y'all are a little bit open. Can you share a little bit about what that looks like and how y'all can find connection through that? Yeah, again, that's been also a process of discovery, but we, I mean, we eventually came to acknowledge the reality of both being like adults with sex drives and that it wasn't working for us to just spend three months not having sex. Um, Yes. So we opened the relationship when we're apart. We stay, again, just kind of our style. We stay very, we're not, you know, I know every open relationship does it different. We're the type of people who share everything, screenshots, information. Sometimes, occasionally, he's been able to watch. If the other person's into it too, and he's into it, then we'll do like some recording and, you know, it'll it'll make the experience a bit, um, you know, like more inclusive. Um, yeah. And I, I haven't had that opportunity on my end yet, uh. but uh, he's a little more private than I am. Um, so... Uh, but it's been fun. And I think, again, it's just about staying in open communication, understanding what each of our needs are and what we need to be comfortable and then working, like really working on making those things possible. Mm -hmm. It sounds like it would be hard, especially, like I said, given the distance, it sounds like it's, you know, you have challenges that you have to overcome, but it seems like in your journey to overcome those, y'all have really grown closer. You mentioned that, you know, sometimes he watches you and you would like the opportunity to watch him. How do you think when you said that this is, you know, mostly an audio medium. So when you said those words, your whole face smiled, like you seemed very excited. So tell me a little bit, if you're comfortable about what excites you about that, like seeing your partner be with someone else when you're not there. Well, for me, I mean, the way I'm wired, I, I am not, I am not a particularly um, possessive person. I, or, mm-hmm. or I don't even know if that's the right word, but for me, I, I receive joy from seeing the person I love and who I'm attracted to um, experiencing pleasure. Like mm-hmm. that's hot to me. And that's also like nice for me to see and to know that they're being, that that need of theirs is being met. Um, and then also it's just, I mean, it's hot. He's hot to me. And then usually the people he's having sex with, you know, are yeah. people I might be interested in too. So, um, yeah. Yeah. That's a, a great answer to that question. I appreciate you being so open, especially because that's pretty vulnerable to go there. Um, yeah. Has this been your first relationship where you've kind of opened the door to things or have you done monogamish-ish dynamics before? Yeah, actually, all of my long-term relationships have eventually gone to a monogamish uh, place, a kind of an on-again, off-again, as we're trying to figure out what works, whose needs aren't being met, mm-hmm. how can we have those needs met, that sort of thing. But I, for me, it's not super important to have, I mean, other than a dynamic like this, I could easily be monogamous, and I have been for many years, been monogamous, and I probably will be again when um, when Nick is in the U.S., um, mm-hmm. although we might play together. We were kind of having that discussion and figuring out if that's what we want to do now. But, uh, you know, 
the world is our playground. So we have all the opportunity to explore and change things and try things and do things and not do things as, as both of our comfort level and needs and interests shift. But um, yeah, it's not my first rodeo with um, open relationships for sure. And when you are in an open relationship, what do you think other than communication is really important for staying connected to your partner? I know that I've talked to lots of couples who are kind of in triads or in different situationships and communication is something that everyone brings up, but also jealousy. So how does that affect your relationship, if at all? It definitely has. I mean, in the in especially in the beginning when our bond was less solidified, when we understood who the other person was less, there was a mm-hmm. lot more of that, um, that feeling of risk really it's i wouldn't even call it jealousy it's a fear of like loss a fear that this thing that you are enjoying and that you love and that um is working for you is somehow going to fall apart when this other element is introduced um and i think you know i think the things you mentioned open communication are important i think beyond open communication listening and 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 understanding your partner um not Mm. just not just what they are willing to say, but knowing the type of person they are and what they're not willing to say. Some people, their pride will not allow them to say, I'm not comfortable with this. This is making me insecure. And sometimes you have to just make the call and be like, I can tell this is really making, this is not working for them. So, uh, and then, you know, then it's having the conversation and saying, I know it's not working for you and and prompting the conversation. So, um, so open communication, yes, but also just being very observant and being very in touch with how your partner is feeling. It seems like you've got to have a lot of empathy to be able to put yourself in your partner's shoes, especially because like we can all remember when we start a new relationship, right? Like flirting with someone new, even first kisses, right? Like they, they feel different. And that's not to say that it's better than a secure relationship where you are comfortable and you know each other, but it's definitely like exciting. You get the butterflies, right? So I imagine you would, it would require a lot of empathy to be going through that yourself and like experiencing the butterflies while also holding space for your partner to make them feel like they have a secure attachment. You mentioned that most of your relationships kind of go toward this dynamic. Eventually, have you ever started a relationship off being open? I have not. I don't think I have. No, I think, you know, in the beginning, you are so focused on the other person and that focus doesn't diminish when you open it either. But um, no, I have not tried. Maybe, uh, you know, I, I'm expecting this to be my last. Of course, yeah. <laughs> unless maybe we added someone to it or something like that. But we're, we are getting married. This is my yeah. person. I love him so much. I've never felt so connected to another human um, in my life. But um But I would totally be open to it. Um, It just has never worked out that way. Yeah. I think part of it is because everything that you have described just seems like you have to really know your partner intimately before you are willing to kind of like be vulnerable in the way that it would require to be in an open relationship. Um, And so it makes sense to me that you haven't started off that dynamic because I don't know that it would um, feed you in the same way that your other relationships have when it kind of naturally goes to that progression. You also talk about it kind of like a, a in a fluid sense, which I think a lot of people don't do when it comes to talking about polyamory. So I really appreciated that. Can you speak just a little bit on what that's like to kind of phase in and out of being monogamous? Well, yeah. I mean, to me, it's the most natural thing because 
how we feel about ourselves, how the level of security we have in a relationship, those things are not fixed ever. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's always in flux. You're You're you're, right. The trust is growing or the trust is diminishing. The level of um, security in, in yourself is growing or diminishing. And as that changes, then individuals needs in the relationship change. So for me, it makes total sense to be like, okay, this is where I'm at. So this is how we problem solve for that now. Um, yeah, I think just fluidity makes more sense um, given the nature of relationships and how people how people show up in them. Yeah, that's beautiful. It makes perfect sense to me too. I really enjoyed this conversation. I know that it has been eye-opening. So I can't wait to dig back in. But first we need to go into a short break. Stick right there. Robert and I are going to be back to talk more soon. Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. Willow Intimacy offers body-positive sex and relationship coaching to improve your relationship with others and with yourself. Transform your sex life and schedule a virtual appointment anywhere in the U.S. Visit willowintimacy.com today to schedule a free consultation and start your journey towards more fulfilling relationships. Today, many doctors prescribe basic pharmaceuticals to their patients who aren't feeling well or have various aches or pains. Is this the right course of action for all patients? We don't think so. Find out about healthy, natural ways to help you feel your best by tuning in to the CBD Ed Show with host Ed Cheney. Ed and his guests will explain full-spectrum CBD, using the whole hemp plant for good health and answer all of your questions about CBD and natural treatment in general. Listen Fridays at 11 a.m. Pacific. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern, on Voice America Variety. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Welcome back to Kissing in a Tree, hosted by Kelly Nichols. Have a question for Kelly or her guests? Email them at show at willowintimacy.com and you might just get your question answered on air. Once again, that's show at willowintimacy.com. Now back to your host. We are back. Thank you so much for staying tuned. We've been talking with Robert, who has been so open and vulnerable. In this next section, I know he's going to continue to be even more vulnerable. So thank you in advance, Robert. I appreciate it. We are going to kind of dive back into what we were talking about right before the break. We were kind of talking about how your relationships have kind of been fluid and that they have been monogamous or kind of open. And so I think it's important to also discuss the fluidity of your sexuality on the show before. Um, I've had one of my friends, Christine, who is a bisexual woman who is also attracted to, um, she's attracted to men and women, but she's married to a man. And so she shared a little bit about what it was like kind of dating men versus dating women. I wanted to talk to you about um, your experience dating people of different genders. Have you noticed that there is differences that you encounter or is it just kind of everyone is the same and it really doesn't matter? What has been your experience? So when I came out, when I was a teenager, I came out as bisexual. Um, I currently identify as queer and or and or gay. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have had and have continued to have sexual relationships with women sometimes. So I 
consider myself like a homo flexible in that way. Um, but uh, in terms of differences, I am drawn more to more masculine energy um, or even more um, ambiguous, gender ambiguous mm-hmm. uh, energy. I um, and to queer energy, like queer Energy. Yes. I, yes. I'm much more attracted to like a queer person of any sex than I am yep. to like a non-queer person. I don't know something about, um, I think the way we're all kind of bucking up against our conditioning is very attractive to me. And it's just the speed of understanding and all of that sort of thing. Yes. Um, the bodies are not, it's not a huge thing for me. Like, um, I'm so interested in all kinds of different body types, all kinds of different body parts. Um, Mm -hmm. so it's, that's not a big, uh, uh, a big thing for me, but I think in general, I mean, I, I identify as gay because I have exclusively as an adult had really like relationships with men. Um, haven't dated a woman since I was like 15, or I guess a girl, or I don't, I don't know. Yeah. You could call it a woman, uh, call her a woman, but, um, uh, yeah, I think, um, uh, for me, my, my personal like theory about humanity is that like fluidity is, is built into our, our natural condition. Um, I do think there's probably a small percentage of the population who could only ever, you know, see themselves in one place or another. I think most of that is, I suspect is social conditioning. Um, and, uh, yeah, so it, uh, and that's just based on my, the way I experience the world. Yeah. I, and that even talking to you, that is so apparent. That's why I wanted to bring up like how fluid you are in multiple aspects of your life, because you, the entire time I've known you, you've never been the kind of person who just fits into the mold. <laughs> you definitely experience life and life's spectrum. And I think that, um, that allows you in a lot of ways to really see all of the beauty of the world. Right. And like, especially what you said about different bodies, because bodies look so different, even a very thin man compared to a very large man, those bodies are going to look so different. They're both men. Right. And so being able to find beauty in both of those aspects seems very natural to me. So I appreciate you sharing that. I want to switch gears just a little bit. So you have shared with me that at some point in your dating history, you have had firsthand experience with an STI. Of course, you've given me permission to disclose this on the show. I wanted to ask you a bit about that experience and tell me a little bit about what that was like for you. So I've actually have had throughout my adult life, two STIs. Um, One was about 10 years ago, I had crabs. And then one was about two weeks ago, I got diagnosed with chlamydia. Um, so I've taken the the schedule of antibiotics. I probably don't have it, but I, I am scheduling a follow-up appointment here in Dublin to um, just to make sure. <laughs> to yeah, make sure. of course. But uh, yeah, I don't, it, it was a surprise. I was not expecting, I didn't, I was mostly asymptomatic. I had like a slight itching, which I was not necessarily expecting to be an STI. I've had UTIs that are like way more mm-hmm. <laughs> like intense than, than what my experience with chlamydia was. Um, and I think, I think I, um, 
I wasn't expecting that because of the the way we approach sexual education, especially in our, we both, I think, grew up in Texas. Um, So, you know, it's abstinence only. And it's when talking about STIs, it is like fire and brimstone fear. Um, So when I learned about chlamydia, it was like, it will be like a burning hellfire from your urethra. Like I was not expecting like a moderate, mild itching sensation to be chlamydia, (laughs) but um, uh, but it was, so I, I got tested. Um, it was any, I anyways had a routine, uh, doctor's appointment. I wanted to get out of the way before I came here to Ireland. Um, which I don't think I've mentioned. I just got here day before yesterday. So, uh, last couple of weeks I was in the U S. Um, and it was a pretty simple process. I mean, the doctor was really, um, professional and, um, you know, I didn't feel any uh, judgment, certainly from the medical professionals. Um, and that experience was pretty smooth. My experience with crabs was a lot less smooth. It was scarier because I didn't understand what it was again. Thank you. Um, sexual education system. I, um, I actually, I'm a very hairy person. So and I didn't know pubic lice can migrate. And I also didn't know what pubic lice really looked like. I thought they looked like little bugs. I didn't think, I mean, for me, what I saw and experienced were tiny little black specks on the, the skin of my body. And I thought that it was like coming from my skin. I thought I, I was developing some like rare skin condition or something. And I was freaked out about it. Yeah. And my partner at the time, I... I was like very itchy as well. My partner at the time looked at it. He looked at it for like a few seconds and then was like, mm, that's cl- uh, that's crabs. And then I, we went to CVS, got the stuff and dealt with it. But um, it was just such a weird experience that I feel like would have been great if I had been expecting it or if I had kind of known what crabs looked like. I could have intervened before it migrated up my body, which is right. really gross and weird that it, that it did that. Yeah, yeah. I think it's so interesting to point out that like the lack of education was a barrier to you, you know, accessing proper healthcare because you didn't know. Um, we've discussed multiple times that like the American school system, especially when it comes to sex ed is more often than not misinformation rather than education. It should be completely overhauled. There are many things that um, I wish I had been taught in schools. What do you wish you had been taught in your sex ed that would have made, especially like the crabs situation easier? Cause you were fairly young when that happened. So what education do you wish you would have had? Well, I think what would have been useful is how to identify removing. I, I think there's such a focus on making the kids afraid of it like just absolutely don't have sex or or only have safe sex, which is great. Safe sex is great. I'm not saying don't have safe sex, but um, there's there was a lack of focus on like, okay, with when you have these symptoms, this is what you might want to identify, et cetera. I think that would have been helpful. And I think just removing fear as an element, I don't think that's helpful for learning. I don't think it's helpful for uh, making informed decisions. I don't think... I think it does the opposite. I think it makes people make worse decisions, less informed decisions. It keeps them away from the sources of knowledge uh, because they don't even want to look at it. If you think getting crabs or chlamydia or even HIV is going to be the end of your life, 
it, you're much more likely to bury your head in the sand and be like, oh, I don't want to, I don't even want to look. I don't even yep. want to check it out. But for, for any STIs, there's no STIs that I'm aware of that exist today that are not something that you can treat and you can live with. And that are, I mean, even like HIV or herpes are not going to necessarily reduce your lifespan at this point in time. So I think just removing the fear, equipping people with knowledge about how to identify and what you're supposed to do if you do have STIs or if you have symptoms of STIs um, would have been much more helpful than what we got. Oh, I agree. And and something that you said is that, you know, you and your partner at the time went to CVS to treat your crabs. So you didn't experience um, a healthcare provider during that time. But I think it also would have been helpful if we not only talk about symptoms to um, our high schoolers when we're doing sex ed, but also treatment that you can do at home, right? Because the thing is, like you talked about, abstinence-only education is not effective. The studies have shown time and time again, it does not work, right? So um, if we equip our youth with the necessary knowledge to not only identify a problem, but also things that they can treat at home, like going to CVS and getting some life killer. I assume that's what she used, right? <laughs> like yeah, yeah. something to kill the crabs, right? So if we're not teaching them how to properly take care of their bodies and how to keep themselves safe, they are going to turn into adults who don't know how to care for themselves, right? And so I think it's really important that, like you said, we um, change that part of our sexual education. But I also think it's important to talk about um the outcomes, like you said, there is not an STI, an STI anymore. There is a death sentence. You're going to die tomorrow. That doesn't exist. But if you have an STI and you put your head in the sand and you don't get it treated because you are scared, that is going to reduce your life expectancy, especially when we, when we are talking about things like HIV AIDS, syphilis can kill you if you don't get it treated. Like there are so many STIs that can be managed or cured as long as you seek treatment. So I really appreciate you being so vulnerable and honest about your experience with it firsthand, because so many people don't hear that side of the story of like, Hey, I've been through it. It's fine. So thank you so much, Robert. Of course. Um, something else that I think is important when we talk about the stigma regarding STIs is that a lot of people almost act like um, you are, can only get an STI if you're promiscuous or like dirty or unclean. That mm-hmm. isn't true. The CDC reports that one in five Americans will have an STI every year. So like, this is very common. That's, this is 20% of the population and not every STI is something you're going to have forever, right? crabs, chlamydia, these are things that can be treated. Herpes, AIDS, these are things that can be managed. So it's really important that we help unpack some of those um, stereotypes. Do you have anything you would like to say when you um, hear people talk about the assumptions they make with people who have an STI or have had an STI? Yeah. Well, the thing I would want to add is that I think layered on top of the just baseline shame that we have, there's an additional pressure. And I actually feel this, this pressure of like, there is an expectation or a presumption of promiscuity among queer people, especially among queer men, um, that we are dirty and promiscuous. And, you know, to, uh, there's a part of me that is like, ooh, I hate to I hate to feed that stereotype. Ooh, I hate to, like, reinforce that in, in the eyes of people. But the reality is both heterosexual and queer people are regularly getting STIs. Yes. And yes. 
And there's, we shouldn't have, whether you feel shame or not, intellectually, you should know there's nothing. It is a normal part of you pursuing your human needs. And it is like any other medical issue. In fact, I don't know medical issues other than perhaps obesity related issues where we really blame the person for, mm-hmm. for the medical conditions that they, that they um, have. Uh, so yeah, there's a lot of shame and there's, a, especially among queer people, I think there's this additional pressure and uh, I just, uh, that's why it's important to me that I'm talking about it with you. I, I think the more, the more we can have open conversations about it. In fact, even uh, me talking about this with my friends, with my circle of friends, I've been pretty open about it with everyone in my life, just because I'm like, oh, this is something that's happening to me. It's never like I've never had chlamydia before. I've had so many people tell me, oh, I've had it, you know, and give me mm-hmm. advice or start talking about it. People who I've, you know, would have never known had an STI. Of course, how could you? Um, and it's been really interesting and helpful for me to see if from a, a, a wide variety of people uh, who live a wide variety of lifestyles, um, who me being open about it has invited them to be open about their experiences as well. And I think mm-hmm. those are the kinds of conversations that help undo the um, the societal conditioning of shame that we have around STIs. Totally agree. The only way that we can kind of destigmatize the shame that is associated with contracting an STI is to talk about it. I'm so glad that you came on the show to talk about it and that you're talking about it with your friends. Because I also think that um, even you said some people have told you like, oh yeah, I've had, I've had that, you know, and you didn't expect it. Other people who haven't had that response might get it in the future and they're going to remember, oh yeah, Robert got this and it wasn't that big of a deal. (laughs) I also think it's important to highlight when we are talking about STIs that obviously safer sex should be the goal, but that obviously isn't accessible to everyone at every time. Um, So it is important to me that we um, critically think about, you know, ways that we can provide safer sex tools to people in the world, whether that is handing out condoms at concerts and bars, things like that. What in your life is something that you think would make a difference if um when it comes to accessibility for safer sex practices well one thing i mean one thing i would want people to know if they don't know uh is to know about prep um you know Mm -hmm. i think everyone's kind of familiar with condoms um i think a lot of people are familiar with prep especially gay men there is uh there's a couple brands of prep and there are some that are um usable and approved for heterosexual intercourse as well Mm -hmm. um so prep is a pre-exposure prophylaxis it is a preventative pill that you take to prevent hiv uh contraction and it's been super i mean it's been life-changing for uh, our community and it um i think it's something people it's it's very common for for gay men to be on prep i mean you'll see on Mm -hmm. dating there's a there's a box to tick whether you're on prep or not and i would say maybe half of everyone on the on the apps is indicates that they're on prep i'm sure there are some who aren't and indicate that they are and i'm sure there are some who are and indicate don't indicate that they are but um a lot of a lot of gay men are on prep i think it could be very useful for uh heterosexual communities to mm-hmm. adapt the same practice i think um the fastest growing demographics of HIV contraction are actually 
among straight women. Yes. So I think that's a uh, something to be aware of and um, a, a tool that is available. Most insurances will cover it. And if you don't have an insurance that covers it, there are tons of programs out there to receive it cheaply as well. You're right. And we are going to talk about some of those programs when we come back. We're going to head into our next short break, but um, we are going to talk about other clinics that offer um, services similar to that as well. So stay tuned and we will be right back. A little birdie told me Voice America is on Twitter. At Voice America TRN. No relationship is perfect. There is always room for improvement. But sometimes knowing where to start can be challenging. Willow Intimacy proudly serves women, men, and non-binary clients and comfortably coaches straight and gay partnerships. Take the first step and schedule a free virtual consultation at willowintimacy.com today. We're here to support your journey towards healthier relationships. Are you looking to get more from your relationship? Why is it that some people just seem to have a better sex life, better marriage, and a closer, more meaningful relationship? Find out the best-kept secrets and more on The Sexy Lifestyle with Carol and David. Carol and David will share insight about the swinging lifestyle and how it has strengthened their love and marriage, not to mention their great sex. Tune in every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Kissing in a Tree, hosted by Kelly Nichols. Have a question for Kelly or her guests? Email them at show at willowintimacy.com and you might just get your question answered on air. Once again, that's show at willowintimacy.com. Now back to your host. Thank you so much for listening. We are back with Robert Cunningham, who has been so open and honest and talking to us about his relationship and his sexual history when it comes to contracting an STI. So I really appreciate that vulnerability. We're going to get right into answering some of your written in questions. But first, I want to talk about that just a little bit more. We were talking about before the break how important preventative measures are for safer sex. Robert brought up PrEP and how its use can significantly um, impact lower your chances of contracting HIV or AIDS. I want to talk a little bit about our featured clinic of the week. As always, this is not a sponsored post. I'm not getting paid to tell you this. It's just information that I think you should know. This week's clinic is the Family Planning Plus Clinic in Pennsylvania. They provide not only education and counseling, but also testing and treatment for chlamydia, gonorrhea, syphilis, and HIV antibody testing. They also offer free testing and discounted treatment for genital warps, herpes, trick, BV, and yeast infections. For more information or to support this wonderful organization, please visit familyplanningplus.org. Again, that is familyplanningplus.org. This really is a great organization. They offer a ton of treatment options for free as well. So if you live in Pennsylvania and you would like those services, please see them. All right, Robert, are you ready to get into our Q&A? I am ready. Yes. Good. I know that you mentioned that this is um, a part of the show that you really like, so I'm excited to get into it with you. For sure. 
Good. Well, now we get to hear your opinion too. <laughs> this first question says, I got divorced during the pandemic. I was married to a man, but during that time, I discovered that I was bisexual. I've never so much as kissed another woman. Now that I've processed the end of my marriage, I really want to date again, but I don't even know how to go about dating a woman. Who pays? Who asks who out? How can I let a woman know I'm flirting and not just being nice? Why do I feel like I'm in sixth grade again? What are your thoughts? my initial thoughts are that we're not all that different. Um, like, uh, the, all, all the things, all the human needs that, uh, your, your male partner had a female partner will have all those questions. They exist in heterosexual dynamics too. So, um, who's going to pay, you know, there is an expectation, a default expectation that the man does, but that's constantly being renegotiated and talked about and discussed. And certainly that is not the case in every relationship. I'm sure there was a period at the beginning of the relationship where a lot of those were open questions that you were figuring out. And it's just like that. I mean, you're just connecting with another human and figuring it out. You don't have to already know how everything is going to go. In fact, you won't, and you wouldn't in a heterosexual relationship either. So just use the tools that you use for basic human connection, apply them to this relationship with a woman and y'all will figure it out. If, if there's mutual attraction and if there's a sincere interest on both parts, you'll have the, the will and the capacity to figure it out together. That's very eloquent, beautifully put. Couldn't agree more. Um, I also want to point out that, um, I know that you're exploring your sexuality and healing from a divorce. There's a lot going on, but I also would challenge you to unpack some of your gender roles because it was very clear by your anxiety regarding dating women that you have some gender roles that you think kind of go a certain way every time. And as Robert pointed out, that's not always the case, not even in a heterosexual relationship. Um, So I think you might just be getting in your own head a little bit. You know, like Robert said, we're all humans. We all crave connection. I think it's important that you um, seek that out in someone who makes you happy and who you feel like you can have a healthy relationship with. And that ultimately it really won't matter at the end of the day, as long as you're both attracted to each other. I have a feeling it'll just kind of fit into place. (laughs) Um, Something that this question did point out that I wanted to talk to you about is she asked, how can I let a woman know I'm flirting and not just being nice? And I've heard that from multiple people in my life who um, are identify as queer and kind of date all over the gender spectrum. Have you had any experiences where you're flirting with someone and they don't realize it? I struggle with that too, to be honest. Um, I feel like I would struggle with that (laughs) if I was straight as well. Um, it is like, you know, I am a very, uh, affable, friendly person naturally. Mm -hmm. So it's like, how do you know? I mean, there are of course things you, there's a little more, potential contact, eye contact, potential, you know, okay, subtle touching if they're comfortable with it. Um, uh, Those are some of the like most basic things. I myself, all of my relationships have started uh, from a a website or an app. So, uh, so for me, it's a very different experience when you're going on an app, you know, everybody there is interested in some sort of romantic or sexual connection for the most part, there are some people there who are literally just there for friends, but, um, but I, uh, so I don't have to encounter that as much because for the most part, almost all of my, um, encounters start that way. Um, I have had some experiences where things happen naturally, but then it is, there is 
a level of expressed interest that is entirely unambiguous. Like, mm-hmm. you know, there is, there's no mistaking it. I think it's very direct where there is a lack of directness for me, I'm kind of out. I'm like, yeah, I don't know either girl. <laughs> <laughs> so my husband, I think is a little bit that way. He has a bit of a hard time just kind of telling if someone is flirting with him or not. And so I, I do think that it, as you said, it, can affect, it doesn't matter what your sexuality is. You can be oblivious to kind of someone's hitting on me or I'm hitting on someone and they're not picking it up. So I agree with you being direct and you gave great advice. You know, if you're worried about it, start online, you know, you're both interested in the same thing. If you get a match, right? Yep. So let's go to the second question. This one says, I need help. I had a first date with a man and we were making out. We're both conservative and religious. So I was really surprised when he grabbed my boob. I used my arm to push him away and thought that would send the message. He did it again. And then I told him, quote, I didn't want that, end quote. And he stopped. At the end of the day, he asked me if I wanted to talk in his car for a bit, but I could tell he meant he wanted to kiss more. I declined and went home. The next day, he said he really wanted to see me again, but that we got out of hand and would need to be more careful careful next time. I feel weird about it, but maybe I'm reading too much into it. Is this just how men are now? Okay. The last sentence I would just throw out, is this how men are? Who cares? Who cares yeah. if that's how men are? whether that's how men are or not? Is this something you're comfortable with? It sounds like no. I mean, from, from mm-hmm. the question, it sounds like you were very uncomfortable uh, in that situation. Um, if you if you're curious about pursuing it more um and you're willing to overlook what might have been like a violation of your boundaries although it does sound like once you said explicitly hey i'm not interested in this he respected that um i would be more direct with the communication up front before you even go on a date just say hey we didn't really do anything you did this and it made me uncomfortable and if we want to go on another date my expectations are X, Y, and Z. Maybe, I mean, I don't know. It depends if you're, if you're waiting till marriage, then say that, let him know, like, I'm not going to be interested in doing anything sexually until marriage, or maybe it's until there's a deep emotional connection. Just explain where you're coming from, what you're interested in, um, and see how he reacts. If he's right for you, he's going to be open to it and he's going to own his part in it. And he's going to, um, listen to your boundaries and y'all will figure it out together. Yeah. I think everything you said is a great, if you want to continue a relationship with him, if you're just like, this is the greatest man ever, I've got to give him another chance. I will say my advice, if you were my friend, I would tell you to block his number and move on. And I say that because you non-verbally sent him a cue that you were not feeling it and he ignored you. Then you verbally said, I'm not consenting to this. And although he stopped, He then tried to kind of gaslight you a little bit and make it seem like you were into it too, even though you told him you weren't. So that really is my concern here. I think that anybody who on your first or second day isn't listening to you and is already trying to kind of alter your reality, I don't think that's safe. So um, I wouldn't pursue it. But I think if you absolutely have to, you think maybe you just caught him on a bad night totally agree with Robert. Have very direct communication about what your expectations are. Because I will say it isn't fair if you are wanting to wait until marriage and you're not going to tell anybody that until the seventh date, right? Like 
being open and honest with your communication is so important, especially when it comes to your internal boundaries with your religion. So strongly encourage you to have that direct conversation with him if you absolutely have to give him another chance. Otherwise, cut him loose. He sounds like bad news. All right. Let's get to our third one. This one says, I recently met a guy through Tinder. We live about three hours apart, but things are going really well four dates in. I really like him and I could see the potential. The issue is I absolutely cannot move because I have my dream job here. I am not ready to move in with him at all. We've only been on four dates, but I don't want to get too emotionally involved involved if he is unwilling to move. When and how do I bring this up without sounding like I'm jumping the gun? I just don't want to get hurt. As is the answer to everything, I think it's like being just very explicit. Just, I mean, just be sincere. You say all of that. Say, I don't want to come across as weird here. I know it's early in the relationship, but I, you know, I'm also thinking we could potentially get in over our heads and I'm not willing to move. If you're not willing to move down the road, if we get there, then it would be nice for us to know that now. So we're neither of us are wasting our time. Just be very explicit um in writing we call it hang a lantern on it if there's a weird part you're worried about being weird point it out just say this is this is uh, i acknowledge this is weird um but i need to know this for x y and z reasons and i again if he's right for you he's going to understand that that's a totally reasonable thing you guys are three three hours apart he's aware of that as much as you are it's an obstacle. And if you don't very quickly get on the same page, it's not an obstacle that you're going to be able to navigate together. And the only way to do that is to talk through it and talk about what your needs are and um, figure out what's possible. Yeah, totally agree with everything you said. This really boils down to communication. Um, I think it's interesting that this person is talking about, you know, when do you have the conversation about moving when you're in a long distance relationship? Because really what what this all boils down to is when do you have the timeline conversation, right? When do you sit down and say, I want to be in a committed relationship by X number of dates or months or whatever. I want to be married, right? When do you set it, throw that gauntlet down? Because there are many people who don't want to get married and won't date anybody who wants to get married, right? So like, when is it appropriate to kind of broach these hard emotional conversations with your partner? And I think it's really important to do it early. And I know that that sounds so weird. I'm not talking about first date early, right? Don't sit down and say, hey, I want to get married in two years and be on kid number three by seven, right? Like, (laughs) that's never, you should start off your first date. But Having those conversations sooner rather than later helps to set expectations for you and your partner. It can really protect yourself because you don't want to get involved with someone who doesn't see the same outcome as you. And to Robert's point, say exactly what you say, what you said in your letter, be willing to say, listen, I know this seems weird, but the reality is we live hours apart. We can't, I don't want a relationship where four years from now, we're still living three hours apart. Right. So having the conversation of, I really like you. I see this thing as having some legs, but I really would rather not move that just rip the bandaid off. It's really not that big a deal. Um, especially when you think about all of the other things that you're going to be talking about when you first meet someone, right, Robert, like you're getting to know them. 100%. Yeah. And I, I also just think 
the sooner, I mean, the sooner you have it, the less time you're going to waste, the more um, it's going to enable you to, it's, that is the stuff trust is built off of. That is the stuff connection is built off of. Be vulnerable, be honest. People, you, he's thinking things too. He's considering this kind of stuff too. There's no way you're dating someone three hours away and you're not thinking, how would this work long-term if this works out? So <laughs> just have the conversation. It's going to enable y'all to quickly assess whether a future is possible. And if it is, what that might look like. Yeah. And that's a great point too. It is starting to establish a baseline of trust pretty early on, which I think is really important in a relationship. It's important that when we are getting to know our partners, we kind of are able to gauge like, is this person willing to be vulnerable enough with me? Are they willing to share things that are a little difficult? Are they willing to talk about the future? Because some people that scares them off. If you're with somebody who is commitment phobic, that is going to send them running for the hills. So being able to kind of show those vulnerable sides of each other just a little bit at a time, especially early on, helps establish a baseline of trust. I also think it goes back to when we were talking about polyamory and how like starting off a relationship that way can potentially be more difficult because you don't have that kind of baseline yet, right? Exactly. Well, Robert, thank you so much for everything that you shared today. We are at the end of our episode, but I really appreciate you coming on. It was so nice chatting with you, Kelly, as always. And I love the show and I'm going to keep listening. Loved the episode last week. Um, and Thank can't, you. Wait, can't wait to hear more. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Robert. If you want your question answered on a future episode of the show, email show at willowintimacy.com. Again, that is show at willowintimacy. Until next week, deepen your roots, branch out with love and keep growing. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Kissing in a Tree. We hope you learned something new and that you use it to enrich the relationships in your life. Until next time, we hope you feel loved.